Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I'm glad you're here. Thanks for uh, being with us. My name's Daniel, as Marnie just prayed, I'm one of the pastors, and glad you've chosen to be with us uh, this morning uh, for our second Sunday of Advent. If you were not here last week, Timothy mentioned uh, that in this Advent season, we're going to be preaching through the Revised Common Lectionary for our weeks together. If, you, if you're not familiar with the lectionary, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about what it is. It's selected readings from the Old Testament, the Psalms, and the New Testament, and it takes you through the Bible in a year, making provisions for the liturgical Christian calendar uh, with its pattern of observances uh, of the seasons of uh, the liturgical uh, year. So Advent, if you didn't know, is the beginning of the Christian calendar. And so what we're doing every week is taking one of the lectionary readings and preaching it as our sermon text. That's what we're doing uh, for our time together in Advent. Uh, Advent and the cultural holiday season, uh, I think, at least for me, I, I would say probably for you too, uh, can often feel like, feel like it has this severe dissonance. Uh, I think our holiday season it, it seems like it's starting earlier and earlier every year, right? We start hanging lights earlier, buying trees earlier, singing Christmas songs earlier, buying presents, going to parties, right? All of us, I think, are participants in these festivities. And don't get me wrong, I love them. It's, it's a fun time of year. But our holiday season, I think, can feel like the pregame or the tailgate before the big event. The big event being Christmas Day. We pregame for weeks and Christmas Day comes and we celebrate on Christmas morning and by 11 a.m. we find ourselves smoked and exhausted. Everybody wants to take an afternoon nap and recover for a few days because we've just been going. Advent for the Christian church is different than the cultural holiday season. Advent is a season filled with hope, but it's also one that forces us to look at the dark side of our world and the dark side of ourselves. And as we're honest about the darkness of our world and of ourselves, we watch and we wait in faith, thankful that Jesus came the first time to save and to redeem, and hopeful and expectant that Jesus will come a second and final time to make all that is wrong in this world right. Dr. Will Willimon has a great quote about Advent. He said that our lives are eschatologically, now that's a, that's a big theological word, uh, that really just means the, the final destiny of humanity. So he says that our lives are eschatologically stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church and the old world where the principalities and powers are reluctant to give way. That as Christians... We live in between, stretched between the new world that is coming and the old world that still exists. And I want us to feel that tension today and in Advent, the reality that we still live in a world where principalities and dark powers are reluctant to give way, which then gives longing and expectation for us to put our faith in Jesus, who is coming again to redeem completely. My question for us this morning how do we live in between? How do we watch and wait in this tension of the first and second coming? One of my favorite Christmas hymns is Joy to the World. We're going to sing it here in a few weeks, and we sing it every year. Let, every, or let, let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. That's how we live in between the times. 
We live by preparing room for Christ to come and to dwell with us. And there's one word that I want to give you this morning that helps us to prepare room. Repentance. Repentance. Our text this morning is coming from the Old Testament prophet Malachi, and it's speaking directly about repentance. We've been spending some time in the past number of months, if you've been with us, in these old prophets. And so I I figured, why not keep it going and look at Malachi together this morning uh, for our sermon. So if you're able, we're going to look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you're able, as we give attention to God's Word. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This is the Word of God to us. Behold... I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Isaiah tells us, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Well, God, I pray that you would speak to us now so that we can encounter you that you might transform us. I pray that the Spirit of God would bring these scriptures to life. Our minds illumined, our hearts softened, that we would leave different because you have spoken to us. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. You are our rock and our redeemer. We need to hear from you. So would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I've got to be honest with you uh, that I've been a little angry and sad recently about my beloved city, Durham. Uh, There's a pastor who is trying to plant a church in downtown Durham, and there's been a groundswell of over 6,000 people who've signed a petition to try and prevent this church from beginning. Maybe you've heard about this or read about it. There's been a lot of judgments Uh, made about the pastor and about the vision and the mission of this church. And I'm not saying that they've done everything correctly at all, but the amount of judgment coming from Durham with the attempt to shut this church down, it has made me angry and very sad. And I've felt this before on smaller scale when uh, people in my, on my neighborhood listserv will email one another and make judgments against other neighbors about all sorts of things, right? Political positions, how to live correctly in COVID, to whether one should or should not blow the leaves on their lawn. Seriously, that's, that is, so, but here's the thing that has convicted me lately. How easy it is for me or for any of us to judge those we deem judgmental. We become the judge of the judgmental, which makes us judgmental, right? It's an ugly circle of judgment that happens often in our society and in our own hearts. We want other people to see their wrongs and we become the judge. There's great danger. I'd say perhaps the greatest danger in our culture today is thinking that the problems of this world are because of others, those people over there, while judging ourselves as completely innocent. Malachi writes to God's people 
a hundred years after the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. And the Israelites are in a place where they are thinking that the problems of the world are caused by those people over there. And Malachi speaks a prophetic message of repentance. Repentance is the posture of the Christian life. It is the posture of Advent. It is the way that we watch and wait for the Messiah to come. It is the way that we prepare room for Christ to come and dwell with us. There's a historic prayer that I often pray. Maybe you've prayed it or at least heard it prayed. It's this, it's this prayer. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. And the prayer goes on. It's a scary prayer if you think about the words you're praying. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, no secrets are hid. I mean, who here wants all their desires known? Their hearts fully exposed. We all want to hide our secrets, not have all our secrets out for all to see. I heard someone say before that hell would be a video of every detail of our life displayed for all to see. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, no secret hid. There's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of repentance. Here I am, Lord, heart fully exposed before you. So this morning, I want to highlight two aspects of the vision of God that we see in Malachi chapter 3. And I believe these two things help us understand repentance. The, the two things, first, is that Malachi speaks about the day of coming. And then secondly, Malachi gives us a metaphor of God. He's like a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. So we're going to look at two things, the day and the metaphor. So let's look first at the day of coming. Our passage starts in verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This is a prophecy of John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the one who would come preaching repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah. And then the text continues, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is a prophecy of the Messiah. Jesus, the Lord who will come. And one would think this would be good news, right? But don't miss verse 2 and that very important first word, but. But. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Malachi says, to those who think the coming of the Messiah is a picnic, think again. For when the Messiah comes, no one is worthy to stand before him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote around this, or preached around it in an Advent sermon in 1928, almost 100 years ago. And I think what he says is still applicable today. Listen to what Bonhoeffer preached. He says, it's very remarkable that we face the thought that God is coming so calmly, whereas previously people trembled at the day of God. We have become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. The coming of God is truly not only glad tidings, but first of all, frightening news for everyone who has a conscience. Bonhoeffer is saying that any reasonable person should have some fear about God's coming. 
That yes, in the first advent, God came as a baby in Bethlehem, but in the second advent, God is coming to judge the living and the dead, as the Nicene Creed puts it. That God will come in the midst of evil and death and judge the evil in us and in the world. He is the judge before whom no secret is hid. Do you see how this is a little different feeling than singing deck the halls with boughs of holly? Feel the dissonance? Feel the dissonance? Do, you, do you see how this levels the ground of judgment too? How we love to talk about them versus us, those people over there. Because as we do, we get to be the judge and we get to feel righteous. And Malachi says that the day of coming, no one is able to stand before the judge. Everyone will be at fault. All of us will be found guilty. As Paul says in Romans chapter three, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Fleming Rutledge says the day of coming means that no one can draw a line between the righteous and the unrighteous with ourselves on the good side. We're all sinners. And repentance is a confession that we are sinners by nature. And true repentance is not content to confess generally, by the way. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that it is our duty to endeavor to repent of particular sins, specific sins. And so when we give you time every week in this service to confess personally and silently after we corporately confess, we're encouraging all of you to allow God to examine and lead you to confess specifically about your sins. And this is not something we just do on Sundays. This is the daily rhythm of the Christian life, confessing specifically the words that you spoke in anger to that person the words that you spoke about that person, the thoughts that you had, the lie that you told your boss, that night you struggled with lust, the greed that welled up in your heart when you compared yourself to someone who has more than you, the hardness of your heart when you saw that person in need and ignored them. We confess specifically. The Lord is coming and there are no secrets that are hidden and so we confess. The second aspect of the vision of God that Malachi gives us that helps us understand repentance is this metaphor. Metaphor of God as refiner's fire, as we just sung. Refiner's fire and fuller's soap, verse two says. God is like a refiner's fire and he's like fuller's soap. God is not like a forest fire. This past summer, uh, we were on sabbatical and we spent some time in Northern California and there were clear traces of ravaging forest fires from the years before. We would be driving along these winding roads and the trees were scorched and then there'd be a few trees that didn't seem to be touched by the fire or a house that didn't seem to be touched and everything else around it was scorched by this forest fire. Forest fires are indiscriminate. A refiner's fire, on the other hand, is not random, but rather purposeful. I'm not sure if any of you have seen a jeweler smelt but smelting is a process of using a very hot fire to purify jewelry, to burn away that which is bad so that what's left is pure gold or pure silver. God is a refining fire. He is very purposeful in all that he does and all that he takes us through. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. There's nothing happening or nothing that has happened in your life, in your life but which God is not using to refine you. It doesn't mean that it's always easy and that it's pain-free. He is a fire, by the way. 
fire burns. Fuller soap, it was something that was used to beach, uh, to bleach clothing white. You would, someone would soak their clothes and, uh, and use the fuller soap and then beat and tread on the clothes for them to become pure and clean. And the thing about fuller soap is that it also burned. So you used it, it burned your skin. So both fire and fuller soap hurt. God's work in our lives is purposeful. And it is often that which hurts that brings about the cleansing and purifying we need. God works in and through the pain and suffering and trials and tribulations that we go through. Martin Luther termed this upside down working of God the left hand power of God. Are you experiencing hardships, pain, suffering? God's working through it. God's gonna take the pain and the trials and. He's gonna use them to get you, to get me to the end of ourselves, to burn away our self-sufficiency and our self-dependence. Hear me, church, God does not waste anything that we're going through. So let me encourage you, do not waste the pain and the suffering you might find yourself going through. Because when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, rejoice. Because this is the place we must find ourselves for genuine, true repentance. This is where we turn from ourself and trust in the Lord who is loving and gracious enough to purify and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and all of our sin. And here at Christ Central, we often say, come to God just as you are. But you should also hear us saying, no one can come to God and remain as you are. Something has to be done to us and something will be done to us. We will be purified and refined. The day of coming, the judgment of God, it reveals that we're all sinners and we all have real specific sins. And the image of God as a refiner's fire and fuller soap lets us know that God is faithful to cleanse us and to refine us, to re-image and remake us. And the way it happens is by getting to the end of our rope so that we give up on our self-improvement projects of re-imaging ourselves into the image we want to portray. And it's here when something does happen, when at the end of our rope that repentance happens and we turn to the one who has done something to and for us. See, when the messenger John the Baptist came and he started preaching repentance, the world began to turn on its hinges for the judge would be stepping onto the scene very soon. And our judge, Jesus, would be marked with compassion and infinite suffering. He would have many accusers, his hands and feet, spikes driven in by violent blows, his brow pierced with crowns of thorns. Jesus would be humiliated and judged in our place. The judgment of God for the sins of the world and for your specific sins and my specific sins were placed upon him. And for all who trust in Jesus, we receive his righteousness. So how do we live in between the times of his first and second coming? How do we watch and wait for the coming of Christ? Repentance and faith. Repentance and turning to Jesus is how we are remade and re-imaged in God. So the grace and the mercy of God always flow down. They flow down to those who are in the lowest place, to those who know they need forgiveness and cleansing. Who can stand before the judge? No one. So why do we pretend we can? Why do we think we're better than other people? 
Why do we act like we're somewhat sinful when others are more sinful than us? Because it enables us to draw the line and feel like we're on the righteous side. We fool ourselves and we become the judge and we rely on our own righteousness. But for the Christian, our only hope of righteousness is alien, meaning it comes from another. It is given to us by Jesus. His perfect life, his righteousness granted to us. Our sin and the judgment for sin was placed upon him at the cross. It is in Christ alone that we're able to stand before God. I used to show this image all the time when I did campus ministry. I'm gonna show it to you. I haven't showed it in a long time, maybe ever on a Sunday morning. Uh, It depicts growth in the Christian life. Maybe some of you have seen this before. Conversion, one comes to know Jesus in a saving way. And then this is the rest of the Christian life. It's growing in our awareness of, of God's holiness, really all attributes of God, his holiness, his love, his majesty, his glory, his grace, his mercy. And then the rest of our life, we're growing in the awareness of our own sinfulness. Right? And as we grow in our awareness of God, as we grow in the awareness that our sin runs deeper than we even know, the cross of Jesus becomes greater and greater in our life. And what Christ has done for, for us, you can flip away. And what Christ has done for us becomes the consuming focus and the attention of our lives, not ourself. And when we're able to live this way, we are enabled by God to be very free. Because self's not the focus, but Christ is. And this frees us from our fears of being judged. It frees us from the need to judge. For there is only one who is righteous. And by grace through faith in him, we become righteous. One of my seminary professors, Steve Brown, he talks about a time when he was preaching at General Assembly, which is the annual gathering of all of our denomination, uh, all of our churches in our denomination. And he he said he, he preached with all of his might on God's grace and on God's mercy. And then he had this younger minister approach him in the hallway afterward, this kind of young whippersnapper, come up to him and confront him on why he didn't preach about the need to obey and about our duties as a Christian. And then this young minister got really nervous and and got a little bit bold and said, you know what, Professor Brown, I think you're really arrogant. And I think you're really prideful. And Steve Brown said years ago, he would have destroyed this young minister in an argument. He would have put him in his place, defended him, defended himself right there on the spot. But he said his response this time was, he just said one word, he said, bingo. Bingo, you think I'm prideful? You're right, I agree. You think I'm arrogant? You're right, I agree. In fact, you don't know the half of it. If you really knew how arrogant I was, you wouldn't even wanna talk to me, he said. It's a life of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith, it frees us from the fear of being judged. It takes the gun out of the hand of the judge who wants to shoot us guilty. Because that we, we know our sin is deeper than anyone could ever name. And it frees us to love others rather than judge them. Repentance, it prepares us to be changed and transformed by Jesus as we put our faith in him. And we watch and we wait for the second advent, the day of his coming. And it's in that day of coming that sin and death will be done away with completely. And everything that reduces us, imprisons us, distorts us, will be destroyed in Christ. And we will be fully redeemed. That which God has begun in us will be complete. And we will be radiant and glorious in him. So let me end by encouraging you here. Do 
You ever grow weary at your sinful tendencies, your own sinful tendencies? Do you ever feel like you're not changing at the pace that you want to change as a Christian? Are you tired from your secret sins and your secret struggles? Let's trust that God is purposefully at work in our lives and that one day our sinful tendencies, patterns, impulses that seem to not be changing like we want will pass through the refiner's fire and we will be made beautiful and pure forever. And until that day in this in-between, in the Advent season, let us watch and wait for Christ by repentance and faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you that we can stand because of Christ. I thank you that the ways that you love us, even taking us through hardship and pain and suffering, you are good to bring about beauty and goodness and fruit. I pray that you would lead us to trust you. I pray that you would get us to the end of ourselves so that we trust you alone. Would you burn away the self-dependence, the self-sufficiency? Would Christ become great in our hearts and in our souls so that we would be set free? Free in your love and free to love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.